0: We are beginning a new sermon series this morning on the parables of Jesus. But before we begin, allow me to very briefly say a word about our approach to this series. It is not our plan to preach through all of the parables. Rather, we'll only be taking a sampling of them. Following five categories given to us by the great Reformed biblical scholar and pastor James Montgomery Boyce. The five categories that Boyce split the parables into are the parables of the kingdom, parables of salvation, parables of wisdom and folly, parables of the Christian life, and parables of judgment. John and I will be spending about two weeks, uh, two Sundays, for each category. And our hope is that our ears and our minds and our hearts will be opened by the power of the Holy Spirit in order that we will be able to not only understand Jesus' teachings, but also be moved in our spirits to obey, that hearing the parables would shape our affections and our attitudes and our actions. So that's our prayer for the summer. And with that, let us pray that God would send us his Holy Spirit, that as we read his word, We might be able to hear it and receive it. Let's pray together. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Our scripture passage this morning is two parables. The parable of the mustard seed and the leaven found in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 13 verses 31 through 33. And then I'm going to actually read through verse 35. So hear the word of the Lord. It is written. He put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds but when it's grown it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in 3 measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables indeed he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fill what was spoken by the prophet i will utter my i will open my mouth in parables i will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world now to him who loves us who has freed us from our sins by his blood to jesus christ be all glory and dominion forever and ever amen We are told in the Gospels that Jesus frequently taught in parables. And we certainly see evidence of this in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where we find a good number of parables. Now, I think that there's a good reason why Jesus teaches in parables. It allowed him to teach about complex subjects like the kingdom of God, faith and salvation and judgment in ways that people could get their heads around and gain understanding. They could do this because the parables were seemingly simple stories that contained everyday objects and activities and concepts that people were familiar with, like fishing and farming, housekeeping and family life, royalty and banquets. But these common things were used in order to make sense out of things that were mysterious and otherworldly to the listeners. As one biblical scholar put it then, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So even as these stories are in many ways unassuming and the ingredients of the stories are familiar... That isn't to say that the parables are simple in meaning or shallow. The point of them was not to simply provide a spiffy adage or a moral platitude. Rather, the parables have great depth to them. The goal of the parables is that the listener would find new insight, deeper reality that lies just beneath the surface meaning of the story. They are designed to move us beyond mere words, to press us beyond pretense. Their intent is to shock, to challenge, to push. They have a way of shaking us to our core if we have ears to hear them. So, for some who didn't care to be challenged, the parables didn't enlighten as much as they confounded. I said in a previous sermon some time ago that parables are like stained glass windows in this way. If they are heard simply from their base meaning, they seem dull and lifeless, the way a stained glass window looks from the exterior. This morning, we are meditating on parables about mustard seeds and leaven. And if we take them at their base meaning, it doesn't get much more dull than that. Not many of us here are. Particularly concerned or interested in a a growth, a lecture on the growth of a mustard seed or the chemistry of baking bread. But as with stained glass windows, what appears dull and lifeless on the outside becomes brilliant, radiant once you move inside. From the inside, you can observe the intricacies of the design. You can See the beauty of the colors and you can begin to discern the meaning of the symbols. Our goal in listening to the parables is to seek to move inside of them to discover their true meaning. And if we have ears to hear the word they speak to us, then we will be called to action. You see, the parables are also not meant to be simply cognitive. They aren't meant to simply be a transmission of information. The parables are aimed, rather, at transformation. They are meant to change our thinking and our attitudes in a way that changes our behavior, as we will see this morning. And so, fittingly, we begin with two parables about the kingdom of God that are instructive as to the power of the gospel to transform to shape, to reorder our lives. At first glance, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot to them. It's just three verses. The first parable about a mustard seed, the second parable about leaven, both common items from everyday life and culture. But through these two parables, which contain the same overarching message, Jesus is going to help us to think about God's kingdom in its expansion in our lives and throughout the world. So these two parables are meant to be heard and considered together as a pair. And as we hear them, we should be immediately struck with the obviousness of the main point each is telling. What begins with and works through little means will produce a large end. What begins with and works through small means, little means, produces a large end. Jesus wants us to understand that as it is with the mustard seed and leaven, so it is with God's kingdom. And this lesson would have been even more obvious for the original listener. Listener. Mention of mustard seeds and leaven would have immediately drawn to mind certain things. Jesus is very intentional in his picking of these two items. You see, the mustard seed was not just some spice that is selected by Jesus at random. The mustard seed was commonly used in Jesus' day in a proverbial way to represent the smallest of all things. We too have idioms for small things. We might say something like, it's as tiny as a mouse. The mustard seed was the mouse in Jesus' day. But everyone also knew what this minuscule mustard seed would become. For a seed always contains within it a disposition for growth. And this particular seed does not produce a small plant but one that very much resembles a tree you see the mustard seed isn't a garden plant it isn't like a pepper or a tomato plant it is a field plant like a blueberry bush some of you who haven't kept up with trimming some of the shrubs around your house have perhaps discovered that some shrubs like certain varieties of holly which are left untended can sooner or later turn into a plant that overwhelms all that is around them. I just removed several petalum bushes from around the front uh, of my house, around my front porch that were overgrown and were hiding my entire porch along with all the shrubs around them. And I'm pretty sure that if I hadn't tended to them, they would have grown up to my roof line. Those who were listening to Jesus tell this parable were well aware that the same was true of the mustard plant. Something that has a very small beginning can grow into something quite substantial and significant. This is also the case for leaven. We need to remember here that there were no neighborhood bakeries in Jesus' day. People were making bread in their homes on a regular basis. So Jesus is giving them then a picture of somewhat regular life. The telling of a woman mixing leaven into flour. What's a little surprising is that the woman is mixing leaven into three measures of flour. Which, for those of us who don't know these ancient measurements, that is about 50 pounds of flour. That is a lot of flour. Obviously, a little leaven can be easily hidden within 50 pounds of flour. And Jesus' listeners would have understood this truth very well. But they also would have understood that what seems to be an insignificant little germ can have significant effects even on large amounts of ingredients around it. It only takes a little leaven to influence and change the character of the entire batch of dough. Jesus is telling us that so it is with God's kingdom in this world. Again, small means can lead to a large end. And if we have ears to hear at all, then this much should be clear to us. But the question is, what is Jesus really, what is Jesus really telling us about God's Kingdom and its reality in our lives. What are the implications of what he is trying to get us to consider here? Even as we might quickly re- Realize the main point of these parables. We might miss the depth of what Jesus is teaching us There were some things for instance that the original hearers would have understood and been challenged by almost immediately as they considered these parables In fact, the main point itself might have caused offense to them. To associate God's kingdom with something small and seemingly insignificant would have certainly confounded them. What the people of Israel were awaiting was the mighty military-leading Messiah, the Savior who would swoop in and save them from their oppressors in the Roman Empire. He would come to their rescue commanding legions of angels who would bring judgment and destruction to all who had stood against the people of God. To compare God's kingdom to something small then would seem to them to be utter nonsense. They understood Yahweh to be the one true and living God who was the almighty ruler of all the nations. So they weren't in any way expecting a humble servant for a Messiah who would surround himself with a ragtag group of common men, And despite the prophecies of Isaiah who foretold of this Messiah's suffering death, they weren't expecting the Messiah to be taken off silently, led as a lamb to the slaughter, to be beaten and crucified. No, 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 no. God's kingdom was not coming to be small and humble. It was coming to be large and in charge. So we shouldn't be too hard on their misunderstanding since we are given the privilege of perspective. Here we are, 2,000 years later, Gentiles on the other side of the world, and we are evidence of the truth of what Jesus proclaims. Do you think that any of the Jewish people standing listening to this parable Could have imagined us. Not only this, there are evidences all around the world of how the Christian faith has shaped and influenced this world. But these parables are not simply a prophecy which has been fulfilled. They present the truth of the means by which God's kingdom was ushered in by Jesus Christ and by which it continues to operate today. And we need to think on this truth. It wasn't by force that God came to our rescue. It was by way of his only son, who is the king of kings and yet did not come to be served but to serve. And the message that Jesus brought sounded like utter foolishness because he came proclaiming a kingdom where the proud would be humbled and the humbled would be exalted. Where the first would be last and the last would be first. Where the poor would be made rich and the rich would be made poor. Where those who seek to save their lives would lose them and those who lose their lives for his sake would find them. And perhaps at the pinnacle of the foolishness of this message is King Jesus himself, who left his throne in heaven to come and die a criminal's death as an atonement for sin. Who offered his perfect life in place of our sinful, broken ones. It's outrageous. It's scandalous. It's ridiculous. But it is through this foolish message that God has decreed to spread the kingdom of heaven on earth. And how did God ordain to spread this word? By placing the treasure of his word in jars of clay. Earthen vessels. And not even earthen vessels that were of any notoriety. No, Jesus taught chose 12 ordinary men, fishermen and tax collectors. They weren't royalty. They weren't wise scholars. They weren't mighty military commanders or great warriors. They weren't prominent businessmen. But from them, Jesus formed the new Israel. And through them, the gospel of Jesus Christ spread and has indelibly changed the world. But consider what they were up against. The Roman Empire for one. Think for a moment with me about how it came to be that the gospel spread to all the earth from the context of the Roman Empire. Christians went from a small and persecuted group in the Roman Empire to a dominant religion within 300 years. And it wasn't as though the followers of Jesus found what would exactly be described as a welcoming home in the Roman Empire. Remember that all but one of the apostles is thought to have been martyred, killed in horrific ways. The reality was that the Roman Empire was a pagan Empire, known for celebrating some pretty perverse behavior. In fact, it makes some of the things going on in the world today look pretty tame. But pagan does not mean irreligious. They were very religious. And they demanded that everyone bow their knees to their pagan gods. So how in the world did Christianity make it in this sort of environment? Did the faith of Jesus Christ spread through the empire by violent means? No. Did the followers of Jesus become a dominant political force? No. Did the followers of Jesus figure out how to take over the educational systems and begin indoctrinating the masses? Not that I'm aware of. No. It happened just as Jesus tells us it would here in these parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that begins as the smallest thing but grows into a mighty plant, a suffering servant followed by 12 ordinary men. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that is slipped into the flower, hidden but bubbling beneath the surface, working its way through the whole batch of dough. A message of redemption spread by a community drawn together in love by God. Practicing simple means of grace. Jesus wants us to understand that God isn't interested in what we humans consider effective and efficient means to build a kingdom. He isn't interested in what we determine is the best way to change and shape culture. Rather, he has declared that his kingdom will be built in humble and small ways. Not through political power, not through military might, not through intimidation or force, not through the powerful and the elite of the world, not through some philosophy that the world has deemed to be great wisdom, but through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through his word and through his church. Jesus is telling these parables because he wants us to understand that while the world might scoff at what it considers foolishness, there is power in God's small and humble means. There is power in a servant Messiah who lays down his life for those whom he loves to bring about redemption. There's power in a gracious word to open deaf ears and enliven dead hearts. There's power in this word to take hold of people's lives and transform them and to bring life from death. There's power to change the world in a ragtag group of commoners who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, and set free to live to the glory of God. And this is exactly how God's kingdom spread through the Roman Empire and beyond. It was through people who were witnesses to Jesus Christ and who spread his message. It was through people who heard the gospel and believed, through people who were redeemed and transformed, who gave up their old sinful lives and who began to walk in step with the Spirit, bringing every aspect of their lives into submission to Jesus Christ. And when people began to have their minds renewed in Jesus Christ, when they began to love God and love their neighbors, putting the concerns of others before their own, transformation began to touch the entire community. We shouldn't miss in these parables that the mustard seed turns into something that provides shelter for the birds of the air. Don't miss that the leaven is producing a massive amount of leavened dough, which would create enough loaves of bread for a hundred or more people. Jesus intends for us to understand that the kingdom of heaven is one in which an inner transformation is created, but also one in which an outer transformation occurs. Shelter is provided for the weary, the hurting, the poor, the lost, the broken. Nourishment is offered in abundance to feed the hungry. And so walls of division began to fall as unity in the spirit took hold. And when God's people gathered to pray and worship and break bread together, anger and resentment began to melt away as peace And the sweetness of loving fellowship emerged. Forgiveness and patience took the place of vengeance and callousness. The poor and vulnerable were cared for both spiritually and materially as people shared out of their abundance or sometimes even in the midst of their own poverty. But almost none of this happened in ways that were loud and flashy. It happened quietly and slowly. It happened by way of everyday, ordinary people who weren't looking for any recognition or award, but who simply believed the message of Jesus Christ and responded in joy to the loving kindness of God through their living. And they weren't being used by God to bring new citizens into his kingdom because they were the ones that could shout the loudest or make the best arguments, but because they, day in and day out, were faithful in doing the hard and humble work of loving God and loving their neighbors. Dearly beloved, this is what subdued the Roman Empire, the mighty Roman Empire. It was God's Power working through his simple people through simple means. It was people looking at Christians who were doing things like going out and rescuing unwanted babies who had been discarded beyond the walls of cities and then loving them and raising them as their own. What on earth, what on earth would cause someone to act in such a way as to care for those the world has thrown away. The love of God in Jesus Christ. In it, there is enormous power. Dearly beloved, much has changed in the last 2,000 years, but much has remained the same. We are still living in a fallen world plagued by evil. But let me assure you, the gospel has not changed. Perhaps the methods and means by which it is communicated has changed, but the message is still that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has come as prophesied, that he was crucified and buried, dead, and on the third day he rose again, and that all Those who place their faith in his atoning sacrifice and in his resurrection from the dead will have forgiveness of sins, peace with God, and newness of life. And not only is this message the exact same, but the power of the gospel to transform lives remains just as powerful as ever. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that a word about a man who lived and died 2,000 years ago is powerful enough to transform a person's life? That a word that gets planted as a small seed in a person's heart can burst forth and bring life from death, can grow and produce fruit in their lives. And not only this, but can continue to move outward in a way that changes entire societies. Do you believe it? You see, we might not want to admit it, but it might be that these parables offend us in similar ways as the original listeners, who didn't really want to think of God's kingdom moving in small and almost indiscernible ways. We like big and loud and quick and extravagant. Dearly beloved, don't doubt or despise God's small and seemingly insignificant means. Don't doubt that there is power in the simple speaking and hearing of the gospel. Don't doubt God's plan to use a ragtag group of commoners like us. Just because you can't imagine it doesn't mean God can't do it. I think the problem is, is too often we begin to look at the world and we get discouraged. We see the enormity of the problems the world is facing. And we start thinking that we need an equal and opposite response. And we begin to look for means that we have determined are effective because we feel threatened. We have to protect our positions and our values, we think. We are well aware that there is an enemy prowling, right? Jesus tells us as much in the parable of the weeds in which these parables are positioned in the middle of. Not all are thrilled by the influence of Christianity, no matter how much good it contributes to this world, because not all want to be faced with God's supreme reign over our lives. Not all want to hand off their power and prestige. I think this is one of the reasons that Jesus uses the leaven as his subject here. Although he uses it in a positive sense in the parable, leaven was often seen in a negative sense because fermentation was identified with rottenness. Jesus wants his followers to understand that the world, the world that remains under Satan's power will resist God's kingdom coming. And Scripture gives witness to this as Jesus' followers are accused of disturbing the cities and turning the world upside down. You can find it in Acts. Today, Christians are accused of much worse. And so we want to immediately react to these accusations and acts of hatred toward us because we feel as though if we don't do something now, all will be lost. We feel forced into fighting fire with fire. After all, how are we going to win this game the world is playing if we are trying to play by a different set of rules? And so we get sucked right into the way the world operates, using the world's tactics to try to effect change. Dearly beloved, these parables stand as a stark reminder to us that God's ways are not the world's ways. God will not be rushed. He is not reactive. He is always at work, but in ways that are subtle and subversive. And we mustn't underestimate God's means. He uses small things to affect big change. And if we desire real change, we need to be committed to operating in accordance with God's revealed will, with patience, with prayer, with character, and with consistency. God calls us to place our faith in him and his word. God has the power to bring about healing and change, and he has decreed in his word that it comes about through his people. I can assure you That it isn't going to come through the world's means of virtue signaling, shaming, and violence. If there is to be reconciliation and peace, justice, and freedom, then it is going to come about through the church of Jesus Christ, who are called to be ambassadors of God's kingdom. It's going to come about from us loving, not only in word, but also in deed. It's going to come about By us liberally and boldly sharing the gospel and demonstrating its truth through our lives. It's going to come about by a winsomeness of witness, a quietness in our living, and a civility in our discourse. It's going to come about by us, listen, it's going to come about by us blessing those who curse us and loving those who hate us because this is is the way of Jesus Christ. And as small and as silly as it seems, we don't need supplements to how God's word has commanded us to live. So dearly beloved, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed by the contemptibly small mustard seed and the corrupting, contaminating leaven trust in God and in his ways in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit let us pray together Heavenly Father we give you thanks and praise for the gospel of Jesus Christ in it holds the power to bring about redemption transformation and so lord we pray that we would be able to hear your word that it would grow and produce fruit in our lives fruit that might be enjoyed by those who live around us as we love our neighbors and care for them father help us help us as your church Help us to do as the church did in the early Roman Empire. And trust in your small ways. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.